There's a special conversation that Trent Griffith had over and over with his daughter, Brooke. From the time she was little, he gave her this warning. Now it's very, very dangerous to give your heart to the wrong boy. And it's very dangerous to give your heart to the right boy at the wrong time. You make a lot of mistakes with your heart. The good news is this, God has given you someone to help you guard your heart. It's called a dad. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Even though Pastor Trent is in a series here on Resonate, talking about marriage and the wrong things we can believe about marriage, we're going to hear a lot today about parenting. That's because there's a strong connection between how your children are doing and how your marriage is doing. In fact, marriage myth number four helps us see exactly that. So let's review what we've covered so far in this series. The first marriage myth was that marriage is obsolete. I mean, it's just a piece of paper, right? Wrong. And so Pastor Trent helped us see from the Bible that rather than being obsolete or unnecessary, marriage is actually a very good thing. Second, it's easy for us to slip into thinking that marriage will make me happy. That's what getting married is all about, right? It's two people that fall in love and they find all their joy in each other and they decide they'd be miserable if they don't spend the rest of their lives together. So they get married. Well, Pastor Trent described that kind of marriage as a two ticks but no dog marriage. He explained that instead, we need to remember that God designed marriage primarily to make us not happy, but as a tool to help us to become more like Jesus. The third myth we looked at in this series says this, love will hold my marriage together. We saw that it's actually the opposite. The marriage commitment is the context within which our love can grow. So in that sense, it's really marriage that holds our love together. Then last week, Pastor Trent began addressing the myth that goes like this, my children will be fine even if my marriage isn't. And we'll hear more about that today. All of our past Resonate programs are available for you to listen to wherever you get your podcast. Just look for Resonate with Trent Griffith, or you can find them on our website, harvestgranger.org slash resonate. Now let's hit a few highlights from last week and then continue on with the rest of this message. Pastor Trent gave it just two days after his daughter, Brooke, married David. Let's listen together. Some of us think our children aren't paying attention to our marriage. Some of us think, you know, you don't, you don't need to be married to have kids. Marriage will be fine. Kids will be fine even if you're not married. Nothing could be further from the truth. Here's the truth. The health of my marriage greatly impacts the health of my children. Now, let me just say at the beginning here, I am looking into faces that tell me there's a lot of brokenness and damage and history and regret. And if I'd known what I know now, I wouldn't have done what I did then. I recognize all that. And I want to remind you before we dive into this, that this is a place of grace. God welcomes your brokenness. If you will humble yourself, 
yourself and bring all those broken pieces of, of broken marriages and broken relationships and broken parenting. You bring all of that to Jesus in the gospel, you get a fresh start, new beginning, boundless grace, unlimited mercy, all because of what Christ did for us on the cross. Marriage is the greatest gift that you can give your children. And I want you to see it here from Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. He says, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Remember those promises you made for better, for worse, in sickness and health, richer, for poorer, forsaking all others as long as we both shall live. You remember some of that? Yeah, God thought you were serious about that. That's why he sent along a little poorer and a little sicker to see if you would actually be faithful. And he says, you weren't. And as a result, God has withdrawn his presence. And it goes on, it says, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he, God, not make them one? Remember the male and female thing? Those thems? But did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And then he asked a question. What was the one God seeking? Did you know that God was seeking something from your marriage? Godly offspring. Godly children. So guard yourselves. Build a fence around your marriage. Guard yourselves in your spirit. Let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Marriage is the greatest gift you can give to your children. Here's the third thing. Marriage provides children a daily example of godly womanhood and godly manhood. If you want, you can turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to pull a passage of scripture out of there. And uh, let me just say before I read it, the immediate context of this passage is actually talking about church leadership. It's talking about elders and pastors. But uh, we can apply it very easily to parenting because it uses a, a word shepherding. Let's read it. 1 Peter chapter 5 says this, verses 2 and 3, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Interestingly, he, he turns a noun into a verb, shepherd the flock. That's a verb. So what does a shepherd do? Two things. He leads the sheep and he feeds the sheep. What's your job as a parent? To lead and to feed. You lead them away from danger and into righteousness. In, you lead them away from lies and into truth. 
You lead them away from threats into safety. You feed the sheep. You have to give them spiritual nourishment. Feed them the truth of God's word. And so that's what we do as parents. We shepherd this flock that is among us. And notice he says, we don't do it under compulsion. We do our job willingly. We accept the responsibility to lead and to feed these sheep. Not because I have to, but because I want to. Not under compulsion. Then he says we're to do it eagerly, not for shameful gain. Can I be honest with you? Most mornings when I wake up, I wish my children were grown. That's not the right attitude. The reason I have that attitude is because I'm selfish. I want to spend all my money on me. I want to spend all my time on me. I want to watch the television shows I want to watch. I don't want to watch the Disney Channel anymore. I just, and, and yet as a shepherd, what does a shepherd do? He lays down his life for the sheep. Do it eagerly. And then he says, not domineering over those in your charge. A shepherd does his job humbly. If your idea of parenting is dominating or intimidating your children, you're not doing your job right. You do your job humbly. And the job of a parent is to come along and say, you know what? I don't do my job right half the time. Would you please forgive me? My tone, my attitude, my selfishness, my neglect, my absence. You go to your children, you humbly say, I am, God is teaching me. I'm a work in progress. Would you please forgive me and give me another shot? And then he says this, but being examples to the flock, you model parenting. What does a model do? A model wears something and makes it look so good you want to wear it too. All morning I've been modeling this shirt. Have you noticed that? You like my shirt? You want one? You want it? Don't you think it would look good on you? That's what a good model does. And every parent is the model for marriage. You make it look so good, your kids say, I can't wait to get one of those. Not, I don't. That looks so ugly. I'm never going to wear that. Your examples to the flock. My youngest daughter, Leah, she's 15. And um, tomorrow, she starts driver's ed. She has visions of having a driver's license and driving a car down some of your streets, <laughs> passing some of you on the road. Lately, she's been asking me a question as we get in the car together. She says, Dad, why are you driving so slow? Oh, you noticed, did you? Yes, Dad tends to drive now one mile an hour below the speed limit, right? I come to a full and complete stop at every stop sign. My hands are at 10 and 2. My safety belt is, I'm glaring into the Why am I doing that? Because dad realized driver's education doesn't start tomorrow. Driver's education started the first time I strapped her in the car seat and started to drive the car. Because she's not going to drive the car the way the overpaid driving instructor teaches her to drive the car. She's going to drive the car the way the underpaid dad drives the car. I'm not underpaid. You're very nice to me. But she's watching the way that I drive. 
She's gonna drive the car the way that I drive the car. She's gonna do marriage the way that I do marriage. So we had this happy event on Friday night. I'm mean, just, just, I mean, it was just the best moment ever. So good. And that was 22 years in the making. In the middle of the ceremony, I not only walked her down the aisle, but I officiated the, the wedding. And so I got to say my last words to her as a single lady. And I, I reminded her of a conversation that Brooke and I began when she was four years old. And I said, you know, when you were four years old, we actually started talking about what is happening right here, right now. And I said, if you remember, I said some words like this. I said, now, one of these days, your heart is going to be drawn to a boy. Now, I know that right now that sounds like the creepiest thing. You don't, I don't, can't even imagine touching one of those. You know, I, I know that sounds weird, but you're going to find yourself you're in your heart drawn to a boy. Now, it's very, very dangerous to give your heart to the wrong boy. And it's very dangerous to give your heart to the right boy at the wrong time. You can make a lot of mistakes with your heart. The good news is this. God has given you someone to help you guard your heart. It's called a dad. And so this is what I want to ask you to do. I, I want you to give me your heart. And I promise I will guard your heart. I will care for your heart. I won't break your heart. And then as you grow up together, this is what we're going to do. We're going to find a guy that we can both trust to give your heart to who's not going to break it. Would you give me your heart? And sure enough, as a four-year-old, she did. And then we had this conversation again when she was five and six and seven and all the way up until she was 22 to make sure you don't give your heart away at the wrong time to the wrong person. And so I reminded her of all of that, shared that story. We cried a little bit. And then I looked at David. And I said, David, Brooke and I, along with Andrea, feel like we have found the right guy for the job. And so today we are giving you her heart and we are trusting you. Don't break it. I said it nicer than that. Now, what, what David really didn't know and what I didn't include in the wedding ceremony is another chapter of that story that I'll share with you right now. When Brooke was 11 years old, she had this big pack of friends and we were all close and our families were close. We all knew each other and it was just a great group of kids and there were boys and girls. But we, we noticed that there was this one 14-year-old boy that seemed to have his eye on 11-year-old Brooke. And we were noticing Brooke's heart was kind of withdrawing a little bit from us and she wasn't talking as much. And, and Andrea and I like, what do we do? What do we do? And so we decided we would go have a talk with Brooke and remind her of the heart conversation. And, and we went up and we say, hey, you know, we've kind of noticed this thing is you're kind of pairing off and that's, this is not the right time. And, and we, you remember, you just don't give your heart away. I think you're maybe giving your heart away to 
we'll change his name to protect the guilty, Butch. Um, we think that Butch might be like stealing part of your heart here and this is not the right time. And, and you know what? She said, yeah, it's super awkward and I don't know what to do with these feelings. And I'm like, great, great. We're here to help. We're here to help. This is what it's supposed to be. So let's all get to, on the same page. And it was great conversation. We, we talked and we cried and we prayed and left that conversation and I had Brooke's heart again. But then I got to thinking about Butch and his dad, and I was really good friends with him. I'm like, I wonder if this conversation's happening with Butch and his dad. And so I called and just said, hey, I want to let you know what a little conversation we had with Brooke. And we kind of noticed this thing going on. I don't know if you've noticed or not. And he said, yeah, we've kind of noticed that. And we've been meaning to talk to him. I'm like, well, now would be a great time. Um, so they had their little conversation and, and everybody on the same page, same values. Awesome. But then I, <laughs> I dared to ask one more question. I said, hey, do you think maybe I could talk to Butch? And he said, oh, I think that'd be a great idea. I'm like, okay. So I said, well, you know, could I just come by and take Butch out? Not like take Butch out, but like we could go, you know, get some burgers together or something. And he said, oh yeah, that'd be great. And so Butch was so excited for me to show up. Not really. So, uh, but I did. And so we went out and we sat across the table and chomping on some hamburgers. And I said, well, Butch, you probably know why we're here and he said, yeah. I said, well, the reason we're here is because I think, I think you have something that belongs to me and I want it back. I think you, you actually have a piece of Brooke's heart and I showed her the whole you know, scenario. This is the way it works in the Griffith family and she gives us our heart, we protect it, we find a guy together, we can give it off some. And like that, so just, I just don't know that this is going according to plan here and I just want to get you on the same page. I've talked to your dad, love your family, love you, just wanna work together, great. So, and I said, Butch, listen, I know what it's like to be a 14 year old guy, I remember. And, and I'm, I'm sure that you are attracted to Brooke. Brooke is a beautiful girl, wouldn't you say? <laughs> now, at this point, no matter what he says, he's in trouble, okay? If he says, no, she's not that attractive, that's a problem. If he says, yeah, she's gorgeous, that's a problem. So, I mean, I, I, I have an opportunity here to coach a young man. And so I said, now, Butch, I, I've actually read a lot on this subject, and I, I actually know a few things about marriage. Um, I read a book recently that said that 14-year-old boys think about sex every eight seconds. Would you agree with that? And you and I both know they're lying about the other seven seconds, right? <laughs> but all of that is good. Oh, God created all of that. That's, that's meant to drive you to a woman that one day will be your wife in a covenant relationship. All oh, that's great. But listen, this is, this is not the time. And I want you to know Brooke's heart belongs to me. If you want part of Brooke's heart, then the only way to Brooke's heart is actually through me. And if you want a relationship with Brooke, you have to build a relationship with me. And if you're interested in that, I'm great. We can talk about that in about 10 years and you can come and we'll have burgers again. I'll buy, but this is not the time and we need to create you know, some boundaries here. And, and he, he joyfully agreed to follow that plan. And so that was a time to shepherd the flock Exercising oversight, willingly, eagerly, as examples. Something you may not know about David, David's 22, and um, about three years ago, he and his father 
were shoveling snow in the winter here together. And his dad, at the age of 60 years old, had a massive heart attack. He died in David's arms. And it was about six months after that, that Brooke and David met, and that meant Trent and David met. And David just really leaned into the relationship and we started going to breakfast together. We've been going to breakfast together every week for about two years. And he opened his heart to me and wanted my input. And in, I, you know, although I could never replace his dad, in some way I got to shepherd him through some of this process. And that's why Friday was so fun is because we watched these two do it God's way. A few years ago, I shared that story about Brooke and Butch at a family life weekend to remember in Hershey, Pennsylvania. When I got home from that conference, I got an email from a guy named Chuck Savage. Isn't that the greatest name ever for a guy, you know? It's a real guy. This is what he says. He says, having a disciplined childhood and a military background, I took the dictator approach to handling my youngest daughter's rebellious nature with disastrous results. She sought out and befriended several less than desirable male companions. Those undesirable companions filled the vacuum in her heart that I, as her father, failed to fill when she was younger. At the age of 18, my daughter Ashley moved out of our home. The boy with whom my daughter was staying accidentally started a late night fire in his apartment. When the fire alarm sounded, he awoke and ran out of the dark smoke-filled apartment without regard to my daughter's life. She was left behind to die of smoke inhalation. I so wish I'd heard your story about how you handled your daughter's situation 14 years ago when my little girl was 12 I should have guarded her heart as the precious gift that it was. While I did what I thought was right at the time, an alternative proven approach based on God's love and understanding would have been most welcome. It's too late for me now, but not for the scores of parents that you speak to. Please, 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 he says. Emphasize to fathers of young daughters the importance of establishing and maintaining a dialogue of love and support with their daughters at an early age, as you have done with your daughter. Take my word for it. The consequences of a father's ignorance or inaction are simply incomprehensible. I hope the pain and the guilt that I live with every single day serves as an imperative for other fathers to take positive and continuous action to guard their daughter's heart from harm. I may never be as clever as my neighbor down the street. I may never be as wealthy as some other men I'll meet. I may never have the fame that other men have had, but I've got to be successful as my little girl's dad. There are certain dreams I cherish I'd like to see come true, some things I'd like to accomplish before my working days are through. But the task my heart is set on is no mere passing fad, for I've got to be successful as my little girl's dad. 
I may never come to glory. I may never gather gold. Men may count me as a failure when my business life is told. But if these that follow after will be godly, then I'll be glad. For then I'll know I've been successful as my little girl's dad. It's the one job I dream of. It's the task I think of most. For if I fail these little ones, I have nothing else to boast. For all the wealth I'd gather, my fortune would be sad if I fail to be successful as my little girl's dad. Okay, if you're a dad, that poem might have tugged at your heartstrings just a little. That's Trent Griffith speaking to dads about their responsibility before God to shepherd their children well. He'll be back in a moment to pray. You know, the series we're in here on Resonate is all about the ways that we can easily slip into wrong thinking when it comes to marriage and family. And to avoid being deceived, we need the truth of God's Word. So make sure you're spending time reading your Bible on a daily basis. Pray. And along with those things, get plugged into your church. Serve. Sit under the preaching of God's Word. Be a doer of the Word and not just a hearer. And if God's given you a family, do all you can to shepherd their hearts too. It might be that you don't have a church home. And if that's the case, I have a suggestion for you. Come visit us at Harvest Bible Chapel. It may be that Harvest is where God wants you. We're located in Granger, Indiana on Hickory Road between Cleveland Road and Brick Road. All the information you need can be found right on our website, harvestgranger.org. Again, that's harvestgranger.org. Well, next week, we'll look into another marriage myth, and it has to do with God and our attitudes about sex. I hope you can join us for that. Now, let's close our program with a final word from Pastor Trent. I know that many of you may have heavy hearts right now for a prodigal child. Many of you may be carrying regret, mistakes. Some of you are thinking, I wish I'd heard this 25 years ago. I get it. The reality is you probably did hear it 25 years ago, but didn't listen. God stands ready to forgive cleanse, to heal, to redeem hearts that are humble enough to admit that we strayed from his path. Would you do that right now? Would you open your heart to him and pray? Seek his grace. The truth is he is the only perfect father, a heavenly father. you'll bring the broken pieces to him there's no guarantee that it's going to fix the relationship you have with your kids or even your spouse but you can fix your vertical relationship with God if you'll repent trust Christ over and over and then trust Christ with your kids and with your spouse Father, I wanna pray right now for my friends and I pray that they would sense a measure of your mercy and your grace. And yet for many of us, there are changes that need to take place. What we do on Tuesday nights and Friday nights and what we do in the mornings, the attitudes and the tone of our voice, 
the time and the attention that we would give to those that we say we love. Lord, I do pray that you would redeem and restore and mend. I pray that none of us would be faithless to the wife or the husband of our youth. God, would you, in spite of our performance, create godly children that the next generation would have a measure of your glory and change this world. Convince us that marriage is not obsolete. Marriage is good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio and podcast ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.